Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a Friday edition of the Spain and Fitz pod. A little pre-party for you before we get to tonight's show. Lots of good NFL talk and sports apocalypse talk. But, uh, Fitz, I need to take a, a quick moment to talk about something other than sports. And I have to admit that rarely over the last couple weeks have I given myself a moment outside of sports. I did watch the Emmy Awards. But the other night, I watched like 11 straight hours of of all different sports and highlights. And I was like, I need a break. I need something else. And so I put on the first episode of Dancing with the Stars, the new cast. Now, I will admit, I have watched almost every season. I think there's maybe been two seasons of Dancing with the Stars that I did not watch. So as cheesy as it is, and as much as I sometimes find it annoying, I, I like it. It's like a palate cleanser of stupidity and, you know, just nice, nice outfits. Um, it was brutal. And I never thought I had any sort of allegiance to Tom Bergeron and Aaron Andrews. I thought they were perfectly fine. I thought Tom Bergeron had a nice collection of dad jokes and a quirky sort of corny approach that was very comforting and felt like a nice fit for people who were thrown into something that was probably very uncomfortable for a lot of them, especially in the first couple of weeks when they're, you know, they don't have know their left foot from their right. And then Aaron Andrews always looked gorgeous and nice, and she seemed to have great friendships with everyone on the show and was so supportive of them. Tyra Banks comes in, and I am a full-time ANTM stan. I actually smize, and I learned how to do it, and it did make my pictures better. And I appreciate what she did for all of us with years and years of America's Next Top Model. But this is not a fit. She does that weird thing where she, like, randomly has a foreign accent sometimes. Like, what do you think about it? I'm like, what are you doing here? And then she seems a little, like, judgy, but also like she hasn't seen it before. And there's no warm and cozy. There's no let me make you feel better about that. That was kind of embarrassing for you. You have no rhythm. It's just not a fit. And I actually saw, like, James Vanderbeek talking about how, like, just flat out, I was really lucky that I was on when the other two were hosting it. So I think this is, like... Everybody's feeling the same thing. They're like, oh no, what happened? I'm, I'm shook here, and I'm shook because I share your love for ANTM. By the way, Smize is a constant Smizing. conversation oh between Sonny and I. Like, It makes such a difference. The number of times I'll send her, like, because I'm wearing a mask, so I'll send her a smile. Or I'll send her a picture, picture sometimes and say, I'm just smiling at you. She's like, no, you're not. I can see your eyes aren't smizing. <laughs> so look, I, like, I'm all in on this. But this is why I haven't watched Dancing with the Stars, uh, because I have this sort of build-up. I went back and and really started watching America's Next Top Model again from the first cycle. Ooh, because, nice. Like, a little I, binge during oh, the quarantine. Oh, yeah, yeah. Something and comforting. To see the way it started, where they were, like, around a, like, just a shitty table that, like, you know, folding table in a conference room. Like, it looked, the beginning had no production value. But to watch the evolution of, you know, both of the Jays, like, I keep looking at all that. Like, I love this show. And part of the reason I haven't watched Dancing with the Stars is because I hold America's Next Top Model to such, like, high reach guard you know that i've been like i don't know that i want to see tyra and they get a different version of tyra that i'm not gonna like i'm still a believer that what should be done for the college football playoff announcements every year is they should come in and they say we have four teams in front of us but only three envelopes remaining like give me that sort of <laughs> right, like right, it, right, it's, right. it's an institution and i'm not like what you said about the previous host i think resonates and you know humble brag we played uh dancing with the stars twice oh, and nice. like bergeron was one of the nicest people you would like you talk about and and you know so many people in tv like usually when you're in craft services like the catering line you know the the hosts aren't always around and aren't always like there and present he was the guy that would just like pull up next to you and be like spaghetti's good today isn't it like he just had this like warm dad feel that was so cool and i found myself having several conversations with him over the time so i think there's a little love for 
for the way it was and then a little fear that watching it now will destruct a little of what I think of Tyra. So now I'm out. I'm out totally. Yeah. Well, here's the thing. Everybody hates change. And they were on so long that you had to get used to it. And I'm sure people felt that way when they switched from... Brooke Burke, I think, was the co-host with Tom Bergeron before Aaron Andrews came on. I'm sure people were like, why the change? Why someone new? So I'm going to give her more time. But the problem was she was not good at hosting. So it wasn't just a vibe that I didn't like. It was her audio was too quiet. She mumbled a lot. She didn't seem to be someone who had watched enough of the show in the past to understand. Like, I sadly have. So when she would act surprised or like not understand something, I'd be like, what do you not get? This has been the thing for the last eight seasons of this, right? So she's actually had to come out. I just Googled it and like apologize for mistakes during the second episode, saying some of the wrong words. And like she made it a thing about perseverance. I, I, I'm no. taking things a little bit far. Like you've been hosting shows for decades now. I'm not sure what's going on here. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I really think there's something to be said for like a tone on a show, especially one where people are putting themselves out there in ridiculous outfits, doing moves and things that their bodies might be too old or too uncoordinated or not flexible enough for. And they're putting themselves out there that the vibe from the host should be like a, like a caring parent that you want to do well for. And that's going to be honest with you, but for the most part, it's going to just like cradle you and make you feel okay. And instead, her vibe is much more the it, it, America's Next Top Model, like, like we believed in you. Oh, mm. we all believed in you. Like, like <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that. And, and she's not a she's not like a dancer, so she can't have that vibe of like, let me tell you how it's done because I've done it. it. Instead, it's like, let me tell you how hosting's done, Tyra. It ain't this. Well, and, and it's so funny what you say, because I can picture some of like, if you think back to ANTM, like uh, some of the best and worst moments really were about Tyra being her best or her worst. Like I, I felt like right. there were times that Tyra was so good with the girls at, at, at really, you know, taking the time even for girls that didn't make the cut to go in and say, hey, you know, look at my adversity, look at the things I went through, like real clips of Tyra. But then you'd have moments where she was at the judging panel and she would just take that moment to show you how you should have modeled and in the process became so unrelatable and fake to me (laughs) that it's like, it's impossible. And so everything you're describing actually makes a lot of sense as I build the Lego castle in my mind of what this is really like. And it's unfortunate because you're right, change is always difficult, but I'm also not a fan of change for the sake of change. And I would argue that if Dancing with the Stars had any issue coming into it for a reason that people maybe weren't watching, it's that you get so used to seeing so many episodes of it that eventually it just needs to go away for a little. It's like a band that's been overplayed. Got to go away for a little bit and come back with some star power. I think part of the problem is it became Dancing with the Stars-ish over a few years, and, and and I don't put that on the hosts. I put that on, you know, really the casting and the overexposure to it. Well, and they also, I think, made some choices that people didn't like, um, like people like Sean Spicer, where, you know, you can pick people that are maybe not super, super famous, but you pick people that maybe earned their celebrity through uh, questionable means, And people are going to say, I don't want to watch this person and root for them. It's kind of what's happening with Carol Baskin. It's like she might be caught up in some BS that's not true. Like she, that might be exotic Joe's weird shit that she shouldn't have to live through the whole accusations of murder. But at the same time, that's what people know her for. So a lot of people are like, I don't really want her to wear some sequins and dance. Like, let's keep that separate from the dance floor. Like, uh, let's only get people that were on 
like television shows when I was 10 years old. Yeah. <laughs> that kind of, that's the intersection we're looking for here, not the disgraced former press secretary or the potential husband murderer. Well, and, and certainly I don't want to, you know, besmirch anybody that works, you know, with all of us. And, and, you know, Bobby Bones is a good dude. Bobby's a really good dude. Bobby was not a great dancer. So when Bobby won Dancing with the Stars, there were a lot of people too that were like, man. Good I energy, though. I, I don't yeah. want to, yeah, but like, but maybe not. In the eyes of some, it was Bobby's very popular and has a rabid following. Mm-hmm. And as a result, he sort of got his, the popularity. It became a popularity contest, not a dance contest. And I know that bothered some people. I think they have to be careful. And that's, you know, that's the taking nothing away from, you know, Bobby the guy. It's just he wasn't a great dancer in that spot. So, you know, I can see that. I can see why people eventually walk away from it. I just don't know that Tyra is the type of person that's going to make people flock back to the show. Yeah, I agree. Wow, you guys did not know what you were in for today, did yeah. you? You yeah. got a real breakdown of Dancing with the Stars, America's top model um yeah welcome to our uh, non-sports world it's cheesy as hell and we are not ashamed it's also sarah a staggering reminder that when i'm not watching sports it's it's just trash tv stash we gotta get like captain sandy on i need some below deck here i mean next week we're getting chris harrison from the bachelor cross your fingers that he doesn't bail which i'm super pumped about because this is supposed to be the most dramatic season ever it's gonna be wild she doesn't even finish the season. She just falls in love with the dude, and she's like, out of here. already figured it out. I don't want to disrespect everyone else. I don't want to give too much away. Oh, anyway, God. coming up next, the actual Spain and Fitz show. I'm pretty sure we're only going to talk about sports, but you never know with us. You never know. It's Friday, and it's Spain and Fitz on ESPN. Ray. I've been working on that all week. <laughs> Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, I'm getting better, right? Yeah, you All are. Right. That was solid. Look at that. I feel good about it. We're on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. And look, Sarah, there's one thing that has turned out to be normal in 2020. One thing you can count on. One thing that you can book. And that's that the Nuggets are going to be down 3-1 in every series in the playoffs. Like, that's the only <laughs> thing we know. After last night, we we got sort of... Uh, and then every show will make a joke. They've got them right where they want them. Oh, God. Yeah. I mean... <laughs> Except if, for ours. We promise. Th- this this show is going to be known as the tagline. We're the could be of Sports Talk Radio. Like, could this be the end? <laughs> Maybe. Hey, hey, could that be how this show gets canceled? Potentially. So let's not advertise it, okay? We're kidding. We're the hot takes show that's going to give you the hottest takes every time. Oh, my God. Check out ESPN Audio at Home for all the hot takes. All you got to do is tell Alexa to play news from ESPN. ESPN Audio at Home brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Vans. Drive a Mercedes-Benz van. Find out how far an extra mile really goes. From customization and service to financial assistance, Mercedes-Benz Vans are ready for anything. I was ready for a hell of a game last night. Sarah, it delivered in a close uh, sort of dramatic game, exactly what I expected between these two teams. As this has been, I don't care about the count, this has been a great series game to game to watch. I agree. It was nice to watch. It will be very interesting to see what we saw last night and how much of it actually carries over. We know LeBron cannot guard Jamal Murray for a whole game. We know Jokic being in foul trouble had a big effect on that. And we know that probably they're not going to be more free throw attempts for AD and LeBron than the entire Nuggets team combined. So how many of those things were the reason that the uh, Lakers were able to get that win and how many of them are, are you know, are one-offs that will be fixed uh, for the next series or, or the next uh, time that they meet? So um, I, I 
I, I didn't feel like after that game I had much better of an idea of either team. It was just another close one that, that a couple things go the way of one team and they get the W. I find it interesting that we spent so much time talking about after the last game, the lack of aggressiveness from AD in a very close game. Now we got aggressive AD. It was still a very close game. Yeah. You know, so I'm not <laughs> sure that we're, we've really figured out what the solution is on that. And by the way, tonight, obviously, like I mentioned, we're taking you into game five, Heat Celtics. That's at 8 p.m. Eastern. Obviously, this is an elimination game. I expect Boston Sarah is going to come out uh, and, and all, all firing on all cylinders to try and save their season. I just don't know right now that anybody can stop the Heat the way they're playing. Yeah, I'm excited to talk to Mark Kestesher, who's going to be calling that game, because there were some statistics I found today that I want to ask him about whether it sways his opinion on who's going to take the dub tonight. Well, in the meantime, there's something else going on this weekend. Actually, too much going on this weekend to track. So we're going to do our best over the next hour to get you through a bunch of it. But it starts, Sarah, with a weekend in the NFL that has me absolutely salivating. I mean, I didn't really, I don't think it really hit home until a couple of days ago as I started to look at the schedule at how many incredible games there are this weekend. We all know, obviously, the big game, Kansas City, Baltimore. That's the game of the millennium, apparently, and it's on Monday Night Football. I think that game's going to live up to all the hype obviously yeah and it's one of those where it's early enough that will provide us with so much ammunition for takes for quite some time even though we really should admit that it might be too early to be the end-all be-all on those two teams right what we've talked about and maybe already forgotten just a few short weeks in is how much continuity matters this season and how much teams are going to come into their own we are already making some pretty definitive statements about a couple teams in the league without offering up the possibility that they might gel as as they get a little more time together uh but I'm I'm here for it. I'm here for us making grand sweeping generalizations about who's going to win the Super Bowl based solely on what we see on Monday. You know, the funny thing is, you're so right. You asked the question of remembering back to what we were talking about the bubble. You know, mm-hmm. how would we treat it? I need to go back and remember sometimes, and this is like a look in the mirror moment. I, I said coming into the season that we couldn't make any sweeping generalizations until, I don't know, between four and six weeks into the season is what feels like the right time to get a real sense. But here I find myself a couple of games in and I'm like, oh, this team's trash. This team's fire. Like <laughs> This is a must win. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> it is hysterical. But I will say I'm interested to see what the Chiefs look like because they got tested more than they mm-hmm. should have by the Chargers. So I think how they stop the run is going to be a big part of it. The other Agreed. Uh, and also, the Ravens are now riding a 14 straight regular season game winning streak. That's the most under-talked about. Like, when yeah. you say that, like, yeah. it hits me, you're right, and I just don't think about it because we keep thinking about the Super Bowl and not who the best team in the regular season was last year. Yeah, 14-2 and two last year uh, for the Ravens. And, of course, we saw how Lamar Jackson, you know, descended upon a league that wasn't ready for him. All this year, I'll be watching teams that, in theory, should be readier. It doesn't mean you could stop him, but can prepare differently knowing what they know as he continues to improve on the passing side of things as well, which was already something that was uh, far less of, of an issue than people made it out to based solely on wanting to focus on the legs. But, yeah, that team... Uh, you know, a disappointment in the playoffs potentially, but there's fires they were last year. They haven't dropped the ball that they had had rolling in the regular season. So that's worth keeping it in mind as we still look at the Chiefs as the world beaters. And a reminder that the less talked about Harbaugh is still doing a spectacular job mm-hmm. as a head coach. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive's Home Insurance. Get your quote at Progressive.com today. She's Sarah Spain. I'm Jason Fitz. And when you start talking about sweeping statements, obviously Seattle-Dallas, which is a Sunday night game, it feels like, 
for the ages also. I mean, when you start talking about sweeping statements, it feels like there's more momentum than ever for wronging the or righting the wrong that Russell Wilson hasn't gotten an MVP vote. Like mm-hmm. It's like everybody's finally woken up. It feels almost like NBA culture where we're saying, okay, it's his turn, and I think he's going to show a lot of that against Dallas. I agree with you. I think Russell Wilson's going to have a great game as he's had throughout, but worth noting, and Mina Kimes said this on NFL Live in a very smart way, she said this Seattle pass rush has less pressure than a motel showerhead. So basically she said Dak is going to eat back there if they don't get better at that. You look at the numbers of both of these quarterbacks through the first couple weeks, and even though the Cowboys have sort of looked up and down depending on uh, what point in the game you check in with them, Dak has not been a question mark. Dak has been fantastic, and so, of course, has Russell Wilson. So this might be a hell of a shootout, right? We got 450 passing yards from Dak last week, and then you've got Russ, as you said, putting together a very early MVP campaign. So can a defense show up? Can somebody come in and step in and do something to slow these guys down? Uh, I I still think that this is Seattle's game to win because I haven't seen enough consistency from the Cowboys to not make some mistakes that might get him in in trouble against a really good Seattle team. But like Mina pointed out, if they don't get enough pressure on Dak, he's going to eat. Yeah, and you know one of the things that sticks out in my mind was a couple of weeks ago on the Thursday night game for the Browns-Bengals. I was sitting with Mike Golick Jr., and we were talking about the fact that usually early on, D-line's ahead of O-line. This year, that has not been the case across the league. So I'm interested to see when that starts to sort of work itself out. Also interested to see if New Orleans can work anything out because this Packers-New Orleans game, I mean, early on, the Packers are firing on all cylinders, obviously, but New Orleans is not. So it feels like this, whatever this murmur is about the where Drew Brees is, is going to become very, very loud if he comes out again and looks flat with his arm. I completely agree. There's also a fear that this is sort of an early trap game where we're like, oh, the Saints suck now. Drew Brees doesn't have it. They lost to the Raiders. And then they come out, we're like, oops, spoke too soon. Still the team that's been consistently great year after year. One thing I'm going to be watching is Packers have given up 223 rushing yards in the first two games of the season. And it could have been much worse if not for a couple different lucky breaks for them. So with Alvin Kamara and Latavius Murray, if the Saints don't get behind and need to depend on Brees' arm, they have a really good shot to to gash up this Packers run deep. So I think I'm going to look for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers to try to go big on a couple early plays, get a lead, and force Drew Brees to prove he can do it with his arm. That's going to be tough, though, because Devontae Adams is questionable right now. Although they did say he was probably questionable, which I think means he's questionable to be probable. Um, And in that case, I still don't know what's happening, but I think he's not going to play, and that's going to be a difference. Suddenly, I'm Charlie Day looking at the map and always sunny. All right, tune in to Bud Lines, a three-part podcast written and told by the great ESPN's Wright Thompson that examines the world of thoroughbred horse racing. Download, subscribe, review Bloodline. It's available wherever you enjoy your podcast. That's just a little just a little taste of what's happening this weekend. Sportspocalypse is what Sarah has smartly uh, brought into my life. Uh, we're going to try and get you through the entire Sportspocalypse world uh, and get you some of the best things to look for. We'll do it next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio and the ESPN app. Now, Sarah, you uh, have smartly uh, helped me realize that we're in the middle of a sportspocalypse. We all wanted this in the summer. But I will agree, like we've talked a few times about how it gets almost overwhelming sometimes. And I thought, no, I'm good. I got this. I got it under control. This is the first weekend where I am officially overwhelmed with the amount of sports <laughs> that are going on. Because on top of everything else that we've got, now we're adding more teams back into the fray in the college football where we've got the SEC. Like, I don't even know where to start with what to watch this weekend. 
I welcome you to the world of anxiety that I have been in since week one of the NFL when I decided to try to watch every single game in its entirety. And I was like, what am I doing? I can't do this. It's not possible. Uh, but tell me, as a college football person, what you're focusing on, because this is the first weekend of the SEC. There are those carryovers that have already been playing or postponements and all that other stuff. How do you even focus on what what's most important? Well, thank you for asking. By the way, for everybody that is on digital, you can check out Countdown to Game Day, 8.30 a.m. Eastern on the ESPN app and Twitter, and then uh, the college football show from 7 to 8 p.m. I do both of those on Saturdays, so all over those places in digital. And look, the SEC coming back is actually, Sarah, really interesting. Florida and Georgia are both considered to be the two best teams in the East. The voters are split on which team's going to be better, but Georgia, at this point, we still don't really know who their starting quarterback is going to be. JT Daniels is expected to get it, but he hasn't been medically cleared. They got a kid named Tawan Mathis that a lot of people don't know that was a four-star recruit that is a dual-threat kid that, that would make their offense look totally different. So, But he had an operation on a brain cyst last year so uh, there's a lot of uncertainty for Georgia so I think that's one of the more interesting things we'll start to see over the course of this weekend and then there's a lot of pressure as weird as this sounds on Alabama they lost a couple of games last year they get Mac Jones in as their starting quarterback what's he going to do to fill Tua's uh, Tua's uh, shoes I should say for them so that's going to be really interesting for Alabama and then realistically, we're not even talking about LSU, right? Like, LSU's a defending national champion, Sarah, and they're barely a part of the conversation. Well, and that's what I talked about on Around the Horn today, the thing I most want to have my eye on, because it's such a weird thing to have a championship team that only returns five starters. And you look at what a series, what a season Joe Burrow had, what a postseason that he had, too, um, and you wonder, what what are they without that? That's 94% of their passing yards gone with Burrow gone, gone and their passing game coordinator gone in Joe Brady. They've lost 78% of their receiving yards, 73% of their rushing yards. They lost five picks in the first round of the NFL draft. Oh, and their defensive coordinator is gone, too. So what does that Ogeron have, right? Was it a flash-in-the-pan, one-season thing, or is this something where there's carryover enough to make them contenders? And I think we're probably going to find out pretty early because, as Woody Page pointed out, Mississippi State has had some pretty good success against pieces of this LSU coaching staff in the past. And so uh, we'll find out early if they're anything or if last year was sort of an anomaly. Yeah, Mississippi State gets Mike Leach in as the head coach who's a dynamic guy with a quarterback that they think can be dynamic too. I'll give you one interesting stat for people to know about LSU and I'll credit Brad Edwards for this at ESPN. Brad educated me on this today. Uh, last year with Joe Brady as the passing coordinator, nobody threw aggressively on first down more than LSU. Their new passing game coordinator is Scott Linehan. In the NFL, no team threw less on first down than offenses that were coordinated by Scott Linehan. So I have no idea. We're going to find out quickly whether this is really Scott Linehan's offense as the passing coordinator or whether it's Orgeron's offense. That's going to be one of the more interesting things. And, you know, we'll get a little bit more help. Let's get, we'll get some expertise involved here for all the betters out there because I know it's a weird weekend. Uh, if you don't mind, Sarah, I say we call in our good buddy Chris Felica the Bear and see what he has to say. Hey everyone, Chris Felica the Bear from College Game Day here with a couple of numbers and notes to consider when you're watching and wagering on college football this coming Saturday. Look no further than the game where College Game Day will be at on Saturday morning between Miami and Florida State. Underdogs have done really well in this series lately, covering 12 of the last 15 games against the number. Take a look at the last six times we've had a team favored by more than a touchdown over the opponent. Well, the underdog has covered five of those six, and you've had three games decided by four points or fewer. So this game might not be the blowout that a lot of people think it's going to be. 
I mean, you take a look at Army as a two-touchdown underdog at Cincinnati. Army has been a really good underdog in this role, nearly beating Michigan, nearly beating Oklahoma, nearly beating Air Force in the last three instances. So I'd expect a lot of people to, to be on Army on Saturday as well. A couple of games that I like. I like Tulane against Southern Miss. I know the Green Wave had blown that 24-point lead to Navy last week, but I think they do bounce back. Willie Fritz gets that offense going again. And I like Duke. I know they it looked like a blowout loss at home to Boston College last week, but the Blue Devils left a lot of points on the board. And I think going to Virginia now, who without Bryce Perkins, a quarterback, and he did everything for the Cavalier offense last year, I do think that Duke will go on the road and play a very tight game, if not win the game outright. So I take the Duke plus the points as well. So enjoy your weekend of college football, and we'll be back next week with more. You can check out Felica on game day tomorrow. Great to, thanks to him for getting us those picks, Sarah. But this is not the only thing for Sports Apocalypse Weekend. There's also baseball going on. Uh, there is so much baseball that is happening because of the games being made up and because there's so much yet to be decided for the postseason. Here in Chicago, we're getting excited for Cubs, White Sox, lots on the line there. But here's what else to watch for this weekend. AL Central title is on the line. The Twins are up on the White Sox by one and the Indians by two. The Twins finish with the Reds. White Sox have my Cubs and the Indians have the Pirates, who are trash but just beat my Cubs. Uh, the Astros' magic number is one to try to get the final AL playoff spot. And uh, there's something about me that's evil inside that wants the Astros to make it just so that there can finally, if there are fans in the postseason, they can get some of that treatment that they've been deserving all week, all, uh, all season long, I should say. Uh, in the NL, this is wild. There are six teams still fighting for the last four spots. Cardinals, Reds, Marlins, Giants, Phillies, and Brewers. So all of their results this weekend are going to matter in terms of that playoff seeding on the NL side. The magic numbers there, Marlins 2, Reds 3, Giants 4, Cardinals 4, and St. Louis has played fewer games, so that's why their number is that. It's kind of a mess, Fitz, and it's kind of fitting for this sprint of a season that we would get to the last weekend, and all of this would still need to be decided. Yeah, it's the best part of what we got from baseball this year. Like, it's lived up to everything we could have hoped for with the chaos that we have. I think I'm all in on yeah. being a Cubs fan, by the way, just because wow, it brings okay, us together. Wow, welcome to the squad. I'm just yeah. going to bring us well, together. Well, they need to get you to Wrigleyville. We need to do a live show from here and all of that, uh, which reminds me, uh, while we're on the topic of the sports apocalypse and things we need to get to, uh, we have completely ignored the Stanley Cup final on this show, and I have Apologize to hockey fans, but neither of our teams are in it. I don't even know if you have. Oh, yeah, you're a Preds fan. You're a Preds fan. Yeah, I'm we, a Vegas are, fan now. I'm all in on we, Vegas. Oh, wow. I forgot that you're a jump, <laughs> uh, total bandwagoner. Well, either way, the two hockey hotbeds of Tampa Bay and Dallas are in the Stanley Cup final. Uh, Tampa Bay is up two games to one right now. Tonight, 7 Central, 8 Eastern uh, is game four of the Stanley Cup final. So we've got our eye on that as well, as well as two WNBA games on Sunday. Seattle up 2-0 on Minnesota and your Las Vegas Aces fits down one game to two to the Connecticut Sun. Uh, there's so many other things also going on this weekend, but that's like all the sports apocalypse. I think I can even try to put my brain around. At Nashville, before you tweet me, you know I love the Preds. Come on, go get out wow, of here with that noise. trying to play both sides? I am. Yeah, I'm playing both sides in the same conference. I don't even know how I do that. And you know what? I'm starting <laughs> to get puckered up on this old Vegas Aces thing. Like, I feel like I'm the curse. They were doing really well. Then I announced that they are my team officially. Yeah, And now, now Connecticut is not doing So maybe you don't want me to. Like, what's your least favorite team for the rest of just this baseball season? I was going to say, like, if you think that you can have any pull as just one man 
on the fates of the Chicago Cubs, long held to be the most cursed team in all of sports until the 2016 World Series, then you have far too big an opinion of yourself, Jason Fitz. I have no concerns at all about you joining our bandwagon. The this the force is too strong with the Cubs word to be affected by you. Yeah, they're gonna cut that audio off and we're gonna see what happens. It's not this is not a good power, Sarah. I am cursed with the power of fandom sucking. That's just what happens to me every single day. Let us cleanse ourselves of the filth of Rebecca Black with a true <laughs> celebration of the day because it is Friday. We made it to the end of another week. That's right. It's Friday. Friday. Yeah. Friday. Friday. That's right. It's a Friday. We're going to talk to Mark Kestisher next segment about the Heat Celtics game. So we got to get our Friday celebration done now. And that includes making some six pack picks of NFL teams that we've got our eyes on this week. I would like to point out that last week I was six and oh in my picks. Now we don't pick against the spread, so it's kind of cheating for the gamblers out there, but it still gives you an idea of, of who we like. And uh, you were four and one. You only made five, five, five picks because we ran out of time. I, wait, wait, I will you say were four and one. Four and one on air, but I made my my fifth oh, pick. Okay. We're taking you. credit for it. Yeah, okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, because I made it to the room. So I said, like, okay. there are witnesses, so it counts. That, <laughs> okay. I'll take all the well, help I can get. Uh, the only one you missed on was that you didn't pick your own beloved Raiders against the Saints. So uh, really impressive by both of us, I would say. And the point there is uh, to listen to what we have to say because we know what we're talking about. Here are uh, the six picks for each of us. I'm going to start out with... Buccaneers at Broncos. Look at you. Look, Look at, at this. You. Wow. We're off to a start here. So a fascinating fact here, the Broncos are the only team in the NFL that Tom Brady does not have a winning record against. He's faced them 17 times. He's 8-9 and nine against them overall. But Jeff Driscoll getting his start for Denver uh, because of the injury to Drew Locke. He's looking for his second career NFL win, uh, which is 248 fewer wins than Tom Brady. I'm going to put my money on the Bucks and Tom Brady in this one, and he'll help him even out that record against Denver all time. Okay, I like that pick. That, that feels pretty good. All right, I'm going to start with Rams at Bills. All right, so everybody's all in on the Bills, and I picked the Bills to win the division. I think they're a double-digit win team, but I think what we've lost here is that the Rams are much closer to the Super Bowl team they were a couple of years ago than they are right now. And as much as I think Josh Allen is progressing, he hasn't faced anyone like Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald will disrupt up the middle. That is going to be enough to actually put a little bit of a in the uh, in the craw of Josh Allen. And as a result, I am taking the Rams to win this game. Ooh, and I think, okay. even though it doesn't mean Buffalo's not very good, I think the Rams win this game pretty easily. Ooh, interesting. This was a, That was a game I didn't want to pick because I'm not sure about it. Really interesting to watch the Rams' run game. They've run 344 yards in two weeks. The Bills' defense has allowed only 151 yards total on the ground. So something's got to give there. That should be a fascinating one to watch. All right, hit me with my next one. Titans at Vikings. Oh, Vikings. What a disaster. Kirk Cousins continuing to win awards for the most futility through the first two weeks of the season. It's been ugly. And I'm worried about what's going to happen for a depleted Vikings secondary when they try to focus on stopping Derrick Henry on the run and allows Tannehill to just eat up that secondary. The passing game is going to look good for the Titans, and they're going to beat Minnesota. 
Well, you know what? I also have. I just wanted to hit it again. At Vikings. And look, it's we didn't talk about this beforehand, but I think you're spot on, a thousand percent. Now, I will say this: I think the Titans have played disappointing to how good they can be so far early mm-hmm. on in the season. The offensive line has not been as dominant as I expected. Derrick Henry hasn't been as dominant as a result as what I expected. But I think the wheels have fallen off completely at this point for the Vikings offense and Kirk Cousins. And once you have that level of the yips, I'm not sure what makes it right. So I am also going to take the Titans to win this game. Look at that. We agree. Oh, all right. Good to know. Good to know. All right, my next one. Jets at Colts. I mean, do I have to say anything? I I will, (laughs) but I don't have to. The Jets are involved in the game. They're probably going to be playing without their starting running back, center, right tackle, and their top three receivers. No big whoop. You know, just a couple important pieces. They're also one of three teams to lose both games by double digits this season. Their coach is likely to be fired in the next couple weeks. They look like a disaster. They could be playing a high school team, and I might still have to think pretty hard about the pick, so I don't have to think hard when it's a Colts team. Indy gets the win. Oh, I like that pick a lot. Okay, in case anyone's new to this, one of the rules is that we have to pick each of our respective favorite teams. It's mm-hmm. time to rip the Band-Aid off. I'm going to pick the <laughs> Raiders at Patriots. If these two teams were healthy, I think the Raiders are clearly a better team. And let me say this. I think their defense can actually handle Cam Newton. I don't think that there's an issue there. The weakness is on the outside. I don't think Cam will exploit that. That being said, this is a Raiders team that right now is going to be minus five or six starters. Henry Ruggs today was ruled out for the game as a result. I don't trust that the offense missing two huge offensive linemen also will be able to get done what they need to get done. So unfortunately, even though I think the Raiders are a better team, I'm taking the Patriots to win this game. Interesting. I actually went with your beloved Raiders as well. I'm not I'm not as high on them as you are. I do think they look good, and I will give you a stat you'll like. They have the second highest offensive efficiency rating in the NFL through week two. Uh, the Packers, the only team with a better offensive efficiency rating. But that being said, I disagree with you. I think the Pats are a better team, and just because of the Belichick bump, a better coach team. And I don't think they can handle Cam Newton. He is bigger than any linebacker or defensive back the Raiders have on their roster. This is going to be one where he is able to impose his body and his strength and his athleticism. It's going to be a big, big problem for the Raiders' defense, and I do see the Patriots winning. Uh, I got so hopeful there. I thought you were going to pick the Raiders to... Uh, nope. There's our something. Okay, I'll go next. <laughs> I've got... 49ers at Giants. In some ways, this should be easy, but it's not because the 49ers are also going to be minus a ton of key components, but so are the Giants. Obviously, there's a lot of concern about the field, but I don't have concern about this game. To me, this is clearly going to be a 49ers win, even with the JV team playing, because I believe that the 49ers are going to be flat-out better coached in this, so they'll be able to get through it because they have a coaching advantage. That's a key in this game. I think the 49ers beat the Giants. Yeah, it's a bold pick, but you have to look at the Giants' side of injuries, too, right? Saquon Barkley's out. Uh, Sterling Shepard is out, I think. Uh, He's on the IR. So uh, not a healthy Giants team that already wasn't very good. So I think that's a solid pick by you. My next one. Cowboys at Seahawks. This is a tough one. This is a tough one. Now, instinct and gut tells me Seattle's going to be fine here, but we do know that uh, there's going to be, as I mentioned earlier, the potential for Dak to feast feast because the lack of pass rush from from the Seahawks. Now, the Cowboys defense is not going to have probably a starting quarterback, starting linebacker. It's going to be depleted in ways that could really help Russ, who has already thrown for 610 yards and nine touchdowns and only 11 incompletions in the first two games, which is just insane. Good God. Um, 
Yeah, 52 of 63 passes this season. Highest completion percentage in NFL history by a quarterback with at least uh, 50 pass attempts through two games. So I think in this shootout, it'll still be Russ and company that are more consistent and well-coached and and gel better because of that continuity factor against a team that's still working into a new head coach situation. So I've got Seattle. Oh, I like that pick. I actually agree with you. A next game for me is... Bengals at Eagles. Mm. This is a get-right game, and this it's a get-right game for Philly. I think that Carson Wentz, like as much as we can sit here and question Carson Wentz, I don't question the quarterback in Cincinnati. You know how much I love Joe Burrow. I question the rest of the roster. So uh, Cincinnati is still that type of team that finds ways to lose games. Philly needs to get right. I think this is the week they do it. I would not be surprised to see Carson Wentz come out with quick passes that are very efficient out of the gate just to get rhythm. I think that's what he's lacking. Well, and I think he needs to do that since it's been made clear. It ain't on your offensive line, friend. It's on you not making decisions and holding on to the ball too long. So you're right. If he's heard that all week long, he will probably try his best to make sure that's not still the conversation after this weekend. Spain and Fitz there. Spain, Jason Fitz on ESPN Radio taking you to Game 5. Heat Celtics and 8 Eastern start. We're doing our six-pack picks for the NFL this weekend. My final game is... Bears at Falcons. That's right. We have to pick our own team, and I wouldn't have because I went back and forth five times on this before deciding that my final answer is if I don't have an answer, I'm going to pick my team because I would rather lose sticking with my guys than lose going against them. Khalil Mack is questionable. That's always bad for Chicago, which looked good against the Giants in terms of sacks last week with finally getting Mack and Quinn out there together. Julio Jones could be limited, but the Falcons, the only team in the NFL with four receivers with at least 100 yards through two games. One thing to keep an eye on, Atlanta is dead last in the league in red zone defense. The Bears are only about 50% on the red zone so far. So if the Bears' offense can be more effective, then Atlanta is likely to give up some uh, some scores there. And I, I'm just not sure yet how good the Falcons were last week or how much of that was like muffed punts and stuff on the side of the Cowboys that put them in good scoring positions. So I'm going to go with my Bears. I like that. Good for you. I'm all in. We're, we're basically out of time here, so I'll just tell you real quick. I'm taking the Chargers over the Panthers. That's my sixth pick on this Ooh, Justin one. Justin Herbert. Yeah, okay. no Christian McCaffrey, no Carolina. It's that simple. And by the way, if the Raiders upset New England after I picked against them, I'll pick against them every week for the rest of the year. I'm just saying. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.